Hello and welcome to today's edition of HIV Matters. HIV Matters explores the current issues people living with HIV experience that impacts on their quality of life. The podcast is hosted by me, Michelle Croston, Associate Professor of Nursing at the University of Nottingham. I have a long history of working in HIV care and will be joined on the podcast by leading professionals and activists in the field of HIV that I've had the pleasure of working with throughout my career. HIV Matters is supported by an unrestricted educational grant from VIVE. VIVE has had no input into speakers or content. Today's episode contains information and conversations that may trigger strong emotions within different people. If you need support, please contact your local care provider. Access to specific services can be found via the reliable internet search engine. Today, I'm being joined on the HIV Matters podcast by Kyle Carabini. Kyle is currently working as an acute ward manager in central Manchester. Prior to this, Kyle worked in HIV care and GU medicine, which is where I first met Kyle. Thank you so much, Kyle, for agreeing to be part of this podcast to talk about your new role and the role of the professional nurse advocate in workforce wellbeing. I was just kind of reading through some information and I'd noticed that you'd mentioned that you trained to become a professional nurse advocate. I must admit when I saw that I was a little bit unsure what that meant and I did a little bit of reading around that but I'm just wondering for our listeners would you be able to tell us a little bit more about this role? Yeah so the professional nurse advocate role has been introduced fairly recently to nurses basically to tackle the mental impact that the COVID-19 pandemic's had on the workforce. It's not necessarily a new thing. It's been used by our midwifery colleagues for quite a long time. And basically, it just does have that aim of, you know, people being able to support each other to improve mental well-being within the workforce. Because as you can imagine, it's, it's, um, it's at a bit of an all-time low at the minute. We're currently in this wave four, coming sort of towards the end of it. So people feel stressed, people feel burnt out. So it's been introduced in line with NHS England. The Chief Nursing Officer, Ruth May, is someone who's pushed this forward. And sort of evidence suggests that when it's been used in midwifery and the process that it uses really does have positive benefits on, on staff wellbeing. So that's why it's been introduced. Brilliant. Thank you for that overview for our listeners. I know kind of listening to you on previous talks that we've had, this is something that is obviously very close to my heart, workforce wellbeing, how we support the workforce during this time. I'm just wondering from your point of view and your perspective, Kyle, what led you to the decision to train to become a professional nurse advocate? So like yourself, I didn't really know much about it. Um, it was offered to me as an opportunity to do the training. And when I got offered the opportunity, I looked more into it myself and found that it was something I really care about. You know, like yourself, I'm, I'm really positive about staff well-being and making staff feel valued while they're in work. And having been a part of inverted commas, the front line for the past coming up to two years now, I've seen the impact that the current pressures have had on the nursing workforce. First off, you know, initially I was still working in GU at the time of sort of the beginning of the pandemic. And as we know, a lot of GU services and and HIV services were really sort of limited during that time. And I was involved in redeployment of staff and, and giving the staff the news. And then I obviously went and joined, I got redeployed myself and went and joined the staff working on the COVID wards. Wave one, we've seen a lot of death 
particularly in old elderly people and you know that sort of ended and seemed things seemed to have got a little bit better and then way two came along where sort of as an organization we want to sort of try and do the best we can for everyone um as well as looking after people with covid so you know it, it was an intense time and i like to make a difference in the world and i like to make my colleagues feel valued so i just thought you know if this is something that i could do to um contribute to making the world a better place then you know so be it so that's why i chose to do it Brilliant. No, it sounds like you've got a lot of experience that you've been able to take into this role and thanks for sharing your experiences about redeployment and the impact on staff. So you mentioned the training. I was just wondering if you'd be able to tell us a little bit more for the listeners. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, the training currently is running for nursing staff and it's delivered by universities. So I completed a post as you would a postgraduate module and got credits for it. It's delivered by many different universities all over the country. I did my training at UCLan, so I can't comment on how it's delivered by other universities, but my training lasted 10 weeks where we had a study session every every week uh, for those 10 weeks and we discussed different ways of how to implement the PNA role. So we had different sessions on, uh, one session, for example, was on mindfulness. Um, mm-hmm you know and the effect mindfulness has um we had other sessions on different ways other people um would like to implement the role or make changes in the workplace uh, in order to implement the role um and at the end of it we had as you would do with any um university course um an assessment where where we had to deliver a presentation on uh, an improvement project within the area uh, that you were working in um and then you qualified as a PNA. It sounds like a really comprehensive process um, and really exciting as well, all those kind of different elements to the training as well. So thank you for sharing that. When I was looking a little bit more into the role and sort of what that meant, it talks about something called restorative supervision. Now, I'm really passionate about the idea of clinical supervision and where I work currently, we do something called resilience-based clinical supervision. And I was just wondering if you'd be able to tell us a little bit more about what this restorative supervision looks like. So restorative supervision, it's basically been developed to support the needs of professionals with sort of complex clinical caseloads. And that's really applicable to us working in an area where we do come across lots of different complex clinical cases. So there's all sorts of things that are involved. Motivational interviewing is a big part of it. It sort of runs off a, a model full of um, supervision. The one that, that I'm aware of and was taught to me was called the A-Equip model. Um, the A-Equip model or A-Equip is an acronym for Advocating Education and Quality Improvement. And it has sort of four distinct functions. So normative, restorative, uh, personal action, quality improvement and education and development so it's sort of all of them combined makes this model what you can then take forward with lots of different ideas to then you know maybe make a positive change uh, in the area that you work in or um, provide sort of mindfulness sessions for staff lots of different things that you can do with the model 
um, it's quite broad in a sense in order to try and make that decision. But it focuses quite a lot on sort of talking to each other. Um, that's sort of a big part of it and promoting rest and relaxation to make people, you know, feel valued, calm and respected in what they do. It sounds like a really flexible model that you can adapt according to individuals' needs. So thank you very much for sharing that with me. So now you've completed your training, how do you see yourself implementing? One thing that I feel like I've always done, but completing the course and the training has really sort of brought home to me, is just sitting down and speaking to people. And, you know, you do it as a person, you do it as a nurse, you speak to people, you try and do and say things that make people feel better. But actually just being aware that you're sort of qualified to do this and suggesting activities, mindfulness techniques that people can use, um, giving them ideas on how they can relax. Um, Aside from all of the developing a new scheme or project which you know you would include as part of the role itself my main thing is just really having that focus of sitting down and speaking to people and just making sure that they're okay just in general you know sitting sitting getting the staff members come into your room or your office or whatever and just saying how are you tell me about your day what was good what was bad how can we make the bad better sort of thing that's my sort of personal way of taking the role forward. As part of the training and as part of the role of the PNA, there is the idea that you would develop an idea and sort of take that forward in your workplace, sort of like a project mm-hmm. in a sense. So mm-hmm. that's something that, you know, I hope to be working on. And, and we've it, within the hospital, we've set up um, what we call a PNA group. Um, and mm-hmm. that's sort of still early days, but, you know, in time, the plan is that we'll all sort of network and get together and, you know, share ideas and take them forward. Brilliant, thank you. You just briefly mentioned about the project of the staff room. I was just wondering, are you able to tell us a little bit more about that current project? Yeah, so I actually used it as part of my assessment when I was doing the PNA course. But one thing that really stands out to me is the lack of area to be able to just go and rest um and we did find you know just through general conversation it's not been officially said or anything like that within the pandemic and all of the moves and all of the movement around the hospital particularly with wards and teams staff and wards lost their areas and a lot of these teams have been in areas for a long long time and you know then had to move to other areas which wasn't necessarily their own everyone always gets provided with rest areas or or break room facilities and stuff, but it wasn't necessarily their own. And you'd find that due to space and stuff, storerooms would be used for different reasons. And and there were some areas that had sort of mindfulness rooms or relaxation areas that didn't have anymore because they'd been moved. Do you understand? So um, what I've found um, in my area um, is our staff room sort of it's it's a lovely staff room but it's not massive and it's a very busy staff room we've got a busy a busy ward that we work on and you know a fair few staff on shift so it can become crowded um 
So my idea was to sort of look at developing a room away from that, still within the area because people like to stick around when they're on a break, but just a room where someone can have some time out, you know, maybe with a little bit of music, some comfy seats instead of the sort of plastic chairs that are at a dining table, um, some reading materials, information in order to point people in the right direction to get support that they may need. People suffer in silence and a lot of the time it's because they don't want to speak to anyone about how they're feeling. Um, so sometimes having that information there is, you know, it's sort of valuable to them because they can take it away without having to speak to anyone about it. Basically, it's just somewhere that people can go and sit and relax and just shut off for five minutes. And I'm a big advocate of that because throughout my time, in work and throughout work sometimes I just like to go away for five minutes you know just have some breathing space some time to think some time not even to think some time to just sort of have a blank mind and and relax and rest so that's sort of my idea and hopefully at some point in the future near future I'll be able to take it forward. Yeah thank you that sounds like a really invaluable project and something that we kind of maybe take for granted that staff that are working have a, a space where they can just have some time out, as you've mentioned. And I think that's that's a really feels like a simple project, but it has a massive impact on staff yeah. being. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you, yeah, for sharing that. That's a, a really great idea. So just reflecting back on my own experiences of trying to establish sort of reflective practice groups, clinical supervision, and staff not really having time or capacity to prioritise this. You mentioned at the start when we were talking that this is something that's been supported by Ruth May. I'm just wondering if you think that this will help your ability to sort of implement the role. And I'm just wondering what challenges have you faced implementing this role, if any? So. As it stands currently, I agree with what you're saying about Ruth May. She's, you know, she's she's pushed forward to have the role implemented. Mm-hmm. Um, and hospitals and trusts up and down the country are sort of pushing forward to get this into practice and, and make it a thing. Hospitals, again, all over, um, have actually employed people specifically to to implement the PNA role and people have become PNA project leads where it's just their role to mm-hmm. implement it. I found with this work have been very supportive. There's always an element of, of time to implement things. In my case as a manager, um, I have clinical areas to manage and that takes up a hell of a lot of time. So sometimes it can be difficult finding time. But again, I'm supported and will be supported to find time to be able to implement this. Having said that, though, what I was talking about before about just sitting down and speaking to people, I think it's important to make that time to be able to do that. But also recognising that I'm a practitioner too who's worked in it. I might need that time myself at some point too. And work are very supportive of that. And like I say, we've, we've got this PNA network. So I haven't had any major resistance to it or anything like that. A genuine worry is that it's it's a new thing and sometimes new things sort of become old things and 
staff may lose interest, but that's mm. not something that's you know been published or anything. That's just my own my own personal worry. But going forward, based on what I've heard about the role from other places and how other you know how other PNAs have, have managed to implement stuff, I can't see many negative things about it. And I think it's going to be you know it's going to be a really good thing going forward. Definitely just listening to you. I'm really excited about this role and I'm glad, absolutely delighted that you chose to come on today's podcast to talk about it. And I think, you know, having Ruth May and she's really passionate about supporting nurses in the workplace through clinical supervision and support for this. And I think it is a massive step forward for our profession to think about our own needs. Um, And being a nurse, you know, and being part of different nurses groups and our healthcare groups on social media and stuff you know I think it's evident that something like this is needed and there is the need to improve the work of healthcare professionals for me my job my work is very important to me and it's 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 quite upsetting when you you feel the morale just in general is is low I agree I think it's a brilliant thing Definitely, I agree with you that, you know, workplace morale after everything the profession's been through over the past couple of years, this is a massive step in the right direction. So thinking about that, I think we've talked about the benefits of having the PNA role. And I think as we move forward and the role gets more embedded, people will start to see the longer term benefits of this. So thank you. Yeah, and it, it has through research on the role within other professions, example, the midwifery profession who, who have used it, it works. And when research has been conducted, it's shown that these interventions do have a positive impact on, on staff wellbeing, which is then great going forward for, for other things, you know, from a it reduces staff sickness, um, improves staff morale. When it has those sort of results, it, it impacts further on things like patient safety. There's less of a risk where patient safety is concerned because there's more staff, less staff are off sick. You can read any nursing article about staff wellbeing and it will show that patients are well looked after when staff are happy. And that's not to suggest no one doesn't look after patients poorly mm. when they're not, but you know, the happier the staff are, the happier everyone else is. Yeah, no, definitely. I think there is something about that. If you can't, haven't got that capacity or that mental headspace to look after your own wellbeing needs, then you can't begin to look after somebody else's needs. And I think typically what nurses do is we prioritise other people's needs. Yeah. And actually just kind of re-tipping the balance a little bit helps yeah. uh, happy nurses, happy patients are brilliant. So thank you for sharing your thoughts and experiences with me today. As we've talked about, this is something that we're both really passionate about, workforce wellbeing. I'm just wondering if there is anything that you think myself or the listeners could do to help with the challenges the workforce is currently experiencing. And that's a huge, a huge question for you, Kyle, just as we go into the nice getting to know you bit. Oh, it is. It's very broad, but there's lots of stuff, lots of stuff. Well, first off, I don't, you don't have to be a PNA to be able to do stuff and make a difference. Um, one of my, personally, one of my big beliefs is that just sitting down, listening to each other, listening to the good, listening to the bad, being that shoulder if you needed, you know, being at the end of a rant, 
just sitting there listening to each other, I think listening just helps. Even if you don't have anything useful to say at the end of it, sharing a problem, I'm a big believer in a problem shared is a problem halved. And, you know, through my own personal experience, when I've had issues or I've needed to speak to someone, just talking helps. Just talking helps. It's offloading. But also, as as professionals, we've got a lot of, of knowledge behind us and we're aware of different resources that are available. So what I would advocate is that we point people in the, in the directions to be able to access some resources. Maybe it might be something personal to you. Yoga class or, you know, maybe it could be a mindfulness app on your mobile phone or it could be directing someone to somewhere where they could be offered counselling or, you know, we've got a lot of knowledge behind us and I think we use it a lot for patients so we can use it for each other. That's a great reminder that we've got all this internal knowledge that we sometimes don't share with each other for our own wellbeing needs. So thank you for that. Brilliant. So now's the time in the podcast for us to get to know you a little bit better. I must admit, this is my favourite part of the show as well. So just for our listeners, can you name something that brings you joy? Uh, well, there's lots of stuff that brings me joy. I could sit here all night and bore everyone with what brings me joy, but the first thing that came into my head was my dog. So I have a little French bulldog um, who I got at, she was 16 weeks old when I got her, and for the first 6 to 12 weeks after I got her, I was like, oh my God, what have I done, what have I done? Like, I've got this little being dependent on me, and, you know, she needs me to feed her, and I need to clean up after she's been to the toilet, and she kept me awake at night. It was like being a parent of a newborn baby. She just screamed all night, but she's my baby, and... I love walking in from work or from wherever I've been and she sort of runs up to me and we sort of do a silent scream at each other like, ah, you're home, you're home, like sort of thing. She brings me a lot of joy, my dog. There's lots of stuff in my life that brings me joy, but, you know, the first thing that came to my head was my dog. She's called Momo. She's actually called Maureen, but we call her Momo for short and she's just beautiful. She brings me a lot of joy. Lovely, that's beautiful. The power of power of pets i just love them they're just so so amazing so thank you for sharing that with me i'm wondering can you share with us a book that you have been reading recently so i have to admit i'm not a massive reader um i'm a bit of a i wouldn't say a couch potato but i love watching tv so i don't read books a lot um Mm. but i recently had covid um and had some downtime to myself with COVID. Um, I thought, oh, I'll read some books. And I actually read four of the seven Harry Potter books, um, the first four. Um, and then I came out of isolation. So not being a big reader that I am, I didn't read anymore. But um, it took me back to my childhood. I'm a massive Harry Potter fan. I was just engrossed for the whole time that I had, that I had COVID, just in Harry Potter land. Sounds like a great place to recover from COVID as well. Yeah. So brilliant. Thank yeah. you. So we live in a world where we're constantly exposed to 
things we read on social media, things we read in the news and things we listen to or watch on telly. Um, I'm just wondering, have you seen anything, listened to anything or come across anything that's really made you think differently or surprised you? One thing that has surprised me, I think, reading the news, watching the news and people's reactions to the news is how many different opinions people have on whatever subject is in the news and how, especially on social media, a lot of different feelings are generated and people react to each other. And I don't know whether it's always been there. Um, Well, it has because everyone has always had opinions and they're entitled to opinions, but the way people share their opinions on social media and share facts, whether they be true or not true, it's really just made me think, okay, I'll just do my own thing and, you know, let people have their opinions and not get worried about what other people think because that's what that's what you see when you watch the news and read social media is that many people get so twisted on what other people say that I find that surprising, especially over the past two years and, you know, there's been a big social media boom and the media has had a huge impact on people's thoughts and feelings, especially over the past two years. So, yeah, I just learned to respect other people's values but respect my own too yeah i've been caught down those rabbit hole cows you know been spent hours reading different comments on a post and thinking gosh getting angry at different things yeah. and it's just having that yeah. like, step back you don't need to get dragged into this yeah i've just learned to it's the same that someone once said to me that always stuck with me is is worrying about it or getting stressed or sort of having a negative emotion about it going to change the outcome of it and if it's not, then there's no point worrying about it at all. And, you know, I've used that a lot recently, especially when I've seen the news and everything else. So, um, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that really sound advice. So thank you so much for joining me today on HIV Matters. We'll hopefully invite you back later in another series to see how the role of the PNA is going. But for now, thank you so much for sharing your experiences on this new but not so new role. Thank yeah, you. You are very welcome. I would like to thank today's guest for joining me on HIV Matters. If you have any suggestions for guests you would like to see on the podcast, or if you fancy joining me on the show, please contact me at michelle.croston at nottingham.ac.uk. Throughout series one, our amazing guests have been sharing their favourite books with us. If you're anything like me, you'll have been busy trying to find these books in a variety of different bookstores. HIV Matters has teamed up with ukbookshop.org to create our own virtual bookstore, which is absolutely amazing. Because not only do we get to find the books that have been mentioned with ease, We also get to support local bookshops when ordering our books. If you'd like to learn more about the HIV Matters bookstore, then please click the link below for more information. Also at HIV Matters, we're really interested in hearing your views on different books that you've been reading. So please contact the show. How to contact the show is in the description below. If you'd like to find out more about Nivna, head over to their website at www.nivna.org. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to HIV Matters if you haven't already done so. HIV Matters is supported by an unrestricted educational grant from Vive. Vive has had no input into speakers or content. 
Today's podcast was edited by Daniel Heggie. A special thank you from all the team at HIV Matters. Until next time, thank you for listening and together we can make a difference.